0: Welcome back to Psych Your Crime. My name is Nicole Mann, and I'm your host. I want to thank you all so much for listening. Your support means so much to us. Now, if you really want to help us out, please give us five stars on whatever platform you listen to us on. That really helps because the higher ratings we get, the more likely we are to be listed in those recommendation lists. And then that way, more listeners means we'll be able to create more content for you. Now, you can always stop by our Patreon page. I'll put the link down below and drop us a few bucks. That would help us out as well. Now, this week, we're going to take a look at the case of Linda Culberson, a crazy, insane ride that has been compared to fatal attraction more than once. It involves something called erotomania. This is a delusion that occurs when a person strongly believes, despite evidence to the contrary, that someone is in love with them. The target is often a celebrity, politician, or other high-status person. People with erotomania may also develop fixations on random strangers and acquaintances. Erotomania has also been termed the Clarembon Syndrome, after the French psychiatrist who first identified the behavior. Erotomania, however, is just not a standalone psychiatric diagnosis. In some cases, people with erotomania may also be diagnosed with a delusional disorder. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or the DSM, in order to be diagnosed with a delusional disorder, the delusions cannot be due to the effects of drugs or other medical conditions. And the person cannot be previously diagnosed with something like schizophrenia that causes delusions. The person can't demonstrate strange or bizarre behavior except for the delusions or behavior that is affected or because of the delusions erotomania may also be a symptom of other psychiatric conditions such as schizophrenia which like I said before can cause delusions. Some of the symptoms of erotomania are the unassailable belief that another person is in love with you. Common behaviors associated with it are the belief that this person is sending secret messages to you. A person with erotomania, for example, might believe that a television news anchor uses a secret code to communicate with them. The obsession with the preserved secret admirer. That may include stalking, letter writing, and other attempts to make contact, even if contact is not wanted by the person they're obsessed with. Then there's the belief that the person they're obsessed with is in love with them, despite all evidence to the contrary. If the target takes out a restraining order, the person with erotomania may believe this is a secret message, encouraging them to be even more forceful about pursuing them. Now, is there treatment? Antipsychotic medication can effectively treat erotomania in many cases. Medication is usually combined with psychotherapy, and in some instances, people with erotomania may stalk or otherwise threaten the person of their affection And this is when hospitalization is necessary. Many celebrities have been the victims of erotomaniacal fantasies. Now, a minority may attempt to injure or kill people who they're perceived as standing in the way of their relationship with the object of their affection. Things like this have been sensationalized in films like Fatal Attraction. There are many very famous examples of erotomania. A couple, include Ricardo Lopez, who became obsessed with Bjork over a very intense three-year period between 1993 and 96. Lopez documented his obsession with Bjork in a diary. Lopez, who was Uruguayan and lived in Hollywood, Florida. Bjork was not his first obsession. Lopez had also been obsessed with Gina Davis, and like Bjork, he became angry when she got into a relationship. In the case of Bjork, Lopez had been writing fan letters to the musician. Although she never responded, in 96, just like with Gina Davis, Lopez became enraged and felt betrayed by Bjork because she got into a relationship with the British musician, Goldie. His diary now had become 803 pages long, full of musings and rants, not just about Bjork, but also about his life and feelings of insecurity. Soon, Lopez stopped writing in his diary, and instead, he started filming a video of what would become 11 tapes, each containing about two hours of footage. Lopez decided he would kill Bjork, and planned to send her a bomb to her apartment in London. He stated, quote, I'm just gonna have to kill her. I'm gonna send a package. I'm gonna be sending her to hell. End quote. Lopez first had the idea of a bomb containing HIV-tainted hypodermic needles, but he soon realized that this was going to be way more difficult to put together than he first thought. So, instead, he settled on the idea of a bomb inside of a hollowed-out book designed to explode upon opening. He planned to kill himself after he posted the bomb to the mail, hoping that Bjork and him could be reunited in heaven. On September 12, 1996, Lopez began filming his final video entry. The the final tape, which was entitled The Last Days of Ricardo Lopez. The tape starts with Lopez getting ready to go to the post office and mail the bomb to Bjork. Lopez did post the bomb to Bjork London address, only for it to be intercepted by police in London after the discovery of Lopez's body by Hollywood, Florida police on September 16th. Bjork was affected deeply by the discovery of Lopez's plot and made it a point to change her security. Now, another infamous case happened in 2012 when two stalkers planned to castrate and murder Justin Bieber. Now, I'm not the biggest Justin Bieber fan, but that does seem pretty extreme. The uncle and nephew duo of Mark Stayaki and Tanner Ruin were arrested in November 2012. They, however, were acting under the orders of Dana Martin, a convicted murderer and rapist currently serving two consecutive life sentences. Martin, who was completely obsessed with Justin Bieber, said he loved the singer, but when interviewed, told a reporter his reason for putting out a hit was, quote, "'It isn't just so people know who I am. "'It's because he changed, and that makes me angry.'" end quote. But it gets worse. I mean, much worse. He also stated in the same interview, quote, if I was free, here's what I would do. I'd put Justin in a cage. I would rape him and put it on YouTube, end quote. Like I said, not a fan, but I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Now, the absolute most infamous Hollywood stalker case has to be John Hinckley Jr. He attempted to assassinate U.S. President Ronald Reagan in 1981 in an effort to impress Jodie Foster. He became obsessed with her after seeing her in Taxi Driver in which she played a 12-year-old prostitute named Iris. When Jodie Foster took a hiatus from acting in in order to attend Yale University, Hinckley moved close to the school where he took to slipping poems under her dorm room door just to get her attention. When that didn't work, he outlined plans to assassinate the president claiming that the shooting would be quote, the greatest love offering in the history of the world. End quote. Hinckley made good on his promise and he fired six shots into Reagan later that day. Reagan survived and Hinckley was confined to a Washington hospital indefinitely. Now this week's case is 28-year-old Linda Culbertson. She was always ambitious. In high school, she joined the Future Business Leaders of America with the hope of owning her own business. But at age 18, she became pregnant and got married. Eventually, she was able to start her own business but that fell apart when her husband was arrested and convicted of extortion. After he was sent to prison, Linda and her children moved to Kansas City to live with her mother. After months of looking for a job, Linda finally gets one in January of 1985 at a small boutique law firm called Pearson & Associates. This is run by Donald Pearson. Linda's new boss is extremely demanding, but Linda rises to the occasion. Linda makes herself indispensable, putting together all the legal documents and filings. Linda would come in earlier than everyone and stay later than everyone. Don helps Linda out not long after she comes to work for him by handling her divorce. Over time, Linda and Don become close, with people calling her his work wife as a joke around the office. Eventually, Linda is no longer a secretary and becomes the office manager. Suddenly, Linda's getting flowers and presents delivered to her at work from a mystery man. Linda confides in a friend that the mystery man is her boss, Don. And after about a year of things going like this, the office starts to get weird. One day, it gets vandalized. The intruders destroy pictures of Don's wife and children and trash his office. After the break-in, Somehow, Linda is able to get Don to install a shower at the office so she can spend more time there. She starts staying at the office overnight, more and more, rarely going home to see her own children. Linda would later tell investigators she did this because she thought if she became invaluable to the office, she'd be able to get Don to give her whatever she wanted. But Don's wife is starting to get upset with the long hours and lack of Don being able to come home and spend time with his family. So she surprises him with the Caribbean vacation, leaving Linda in charge of the office. However, immediately after Don goes on vacation, Linda starts receiving threatening phone calls at the office. And the very night that Don leaves the country, the office is broken into while Linda is there alone. The office is trashed and Linda is found hidden in a closet. So scared to come out that she urinates right there in the closet. The intruders steal office equipment and Don has no choice but return from his vacation to deal with the burglary. This is just months before Linda starts telling her friends She can't keep up with Don's over-the-top demands. She says that she does too many personal things for him, she feels like she's his wife. And then she starts telling people that the stress of the job has pushed Don over the edge. Linda now starts showing up with bruises, claiming that Don is abusing her. Linda, however, refuses to leave him when pressed. Linda, concerned for her safety after the break-in, starts keeping a shotgun at the office. Dawn hires a private security company to guard the firm at night. Employees report hearing Linda and Dawn getting into screaming matches, and several longtime employees start leaving, saying they're seeing the writing on the wall. Linda is even caught pouring brake fluid on Dawn's car and telling a co-worker because she's tired of being the other woman and she's already done the same to his wife's car. Linda starts hanging out with the security guard, Evison Jacobs, at night. Linda tells Evison that Don is abusive and possessive and won't let her leave to start her own business. Evison tells her about the fact that he is a new father and doesn't have the money to get his own place, so he, his girlfriend, and baby are cramped into his mother's apartment. The two bond over their struggles, and not long after, Everson starts working at the firm. On the night of June seventh, nineteen eighty-nine, there's another break-in, but this time, when the police arrive, they find Dawn in the elevator, shot multiple times with a shotgun. Then they find Linda hysterical, hiding in her office with a shotgun of her own, and Everson on the top floor, tied up. Ellison tells police he heard shots and was then hit over the head. Linda tells police she hears screams and shots and hides under her desk. She grabs her gun, but can't bring herself to step out and use it. Linda tells police that she hears a man scream, You'll never take me to court again. So, police get permission from Don's wife to search the office because remember, Don is found in the elevator, which is technically outside of the office. Once they have permission, they find something bizarre. A sawed-off shotgun wrapped in plastic, hidden in a closet, with ammo. After being confronted a second time, Linda reveals her affair and claims that Don treated her like his personal sex slave, never allowing her to have a life outside of him. Then, Linda tells police she knows who the killer is. Evison Jacobs, the security guard. According to Linda, Evison was upset that Don was making racist remarks to him. Linda then tells the police that Evison hired a friend named Quincy Brown to kill Don. So, detectives re-interview Evison and bring in Quincy Brown. After Quincy and Evison's fingerprints were found on the gun, They both admitted to being involved. Evison admits that he's the one who bought the shotgun. He states that Quincy hit him on the head and tied him up to give him an alibi while he shot Dawn. Quincy tells the same story with one interesting quiz. They both say Linda hired them. Linda offered Evison cash, $600, a job, and a house. But, Everson can't bring himself to kill anyone, so he calls his friend Quincy to help. One thing seems to back them up. Linda's fingerprints on the gun. Linda claims that she was forced by Everson to hold the gun. Not sure what to think, police get a tip from a former friend of Linda's named Hyla. After hearing the news of Dawn's death, Hyla calls the police. Hyla and Linda had just recently had a falling out. When Linda admitted to Hyla, she was the one that broke into the office while Don was on vacation. Linda stated she did it to get Don to come back. It is also discovered that Linda committed the first break-in when the office was vandalized. Scared of Linda, Hyla quits. After being questioned extensively linda admits she hired the two men to kill Don. quincy fires the first two shots at dawn as he steps out of his office dawn begs linda for help instead she runs out of the office and instructs quincy to shoot him again quincy horrified by what he has done gives linda the gun and runs linda then walks right up to Don, who by now has crawled into the elevator and shoots him in the face. Linda then switches out the murder weapon for her personal shotgun. At the trial, it is discovered that Quincy actually had showed up to the firm several times over the course of a month to try and commit the murder, but could never muster up the nerve until the night of June 7th. It is also discovered that the years-long affair that Linda had told multiple people about never happened. The flowers, the gifts, they were all sent by Linda to herself. Linda even hurt herself to sell her abuse story. Dawn, however, was not entirely oblivious to what was going on. The screaming matches were Dawn shutting down Linda's delusion of some grand romance between the two, making Linda even more volatile and leading to her to plan the murder. Apparently, this whole thing started because once on the advice of his wife Don gave linda flowers not long after she was hired at trial all three were quickly convicted and sentenced to life evison jacobs appealed his sentence claiming he was coerced by police into admitting his part in the crime to this day he still claims he's innocent his appeal was denied and he quincy brown and linda Culberson are currently still serving their life sentences. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. This is going to be our last podcast for 2018, but don't worry, we'll be back again in 2019 with a look into incel culture and how it has inspired someone to commit a mass shooting. In the meantime, I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people can do such awful things.